With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast. On this podcast, I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors, dietitians, and leaders in the field from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope you enjoyed today's guest. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, review, and leave a comment. Thank you so much, guys. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast series four. On today's show, we actually have a friend of mine, but he's a friend that many of you will have heard of and are likely already following. Dr. Mike is, wait for it, a doctor, an actual GP with a long-standing history in our industry and a great reputation and a great deal of respect. There is a lot for us to get through today, and uh, Mike is quite the wordsmith. If you follow him, you'll know this. So I just think we should get get started, really. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks very much. I think that's like the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> it's Great reputation. I like it. It can only go down from here. Well, I mean, I don't really want to jump the gun on some of the questions because I kind mm. of explain your kind of segue into this world and and I, I want you to to speak about it more than I want to speak about it so I guess the first thing that we should do is what I always do just introduce yourself to the audience and tell everybody a bit about you and and what you do cool so I am a GP my name is Mike I work down in West Sussex and I work full-time as an NHS GP but also as a GP educator so I've got like this side interest in education and also in, in mental health, but also massively over the last few years in lifestyle and lifestyle change, particularly like behavior change and stuff like that. Mostly just because I went on a journey of life. I hate calling it a journey, but that's what it no. is. Um, no. And essentially I'd grown up really inactive, not interested in health or fitness or nutrition or anything like that. And then had suddenly decided that I needed to make some changes or bad things were going to happen. So went on this kind of big journey from like zero to total lifestyle change. And so I kind of feel like I've done all of the really dumb things and I've made a lot of real like huge mistakes. Not that I necessarily particularly regret many of them, but I feel like I've learned so much along the way through experience that it kind of made me feel quite strongly about paying that forward and trying to help other people learn from my mistakes rather than having to make those mistakes themselves. Um, so I've developed just this this kind of passion for talking. I mean, I like talking a lot, really, and <laughs> who doesn't? So it's really just talking about what I've seen and done and been through and hopefully in a way that can help other people do stuff better. I love that. I mean, that my second question for you, which you've basically just touched on, but I think it would be good if we could get like a bit more into it is um, I've written, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you basically kind of transitioned into the health and fitness world because you really struggled with your way. And not only did you lose a hell of a lot of it, which is one thing, but you kept it off. And as far as I can tell, you continue to upskill yourself when it comes to your own physical journey. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about that on a personal level, like what your life used to be like, what changed, what was the, the catalyst that made you think, uh, actually, I should probably, you know, do something and what it kind of looks like now? My life before was very much reactive from from like a health point of view in the sense that from my perspective, I was young, I was healthy by default, like I didn't have any diseases or illnesses, I didn't have any like permanent damage or anything like that as far as I was aware, I wasn't needing to be on any medications, I was kind of just going with the flow really and I think when we're young, we very much rely on this sort of idea of invincibility. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a conscious idea. It's just this sort of kind of unconscious belief that we don't really need to worry about things like the future because we're just okay. Like I've always really, really loved food. 
I've always naturally been atrocious at anything to do with sport. So, you know, like because I was quite good at like academically at school and I was really bad at sporting stuff. Like my parents didn't care about sports. They only really cared about me being good at academics. So it was kind of like I could be rebellious when it came to to PE in ways that I wasn't allowed to be rebellious in other ways. So I kind of just didn't try, didn't put any effort in and wasn't particularly encouraged by, you know, the grown-ups in that side of things either. So it wasn't particularly surprising that I just didn't really get into it. So, you know, went to university and again, I lived in London and so I was walking everywhere and working as a junior doctor, running up and down stairs all the time, like going around the hospital and stuff. And things were always kind of kept in check. And I always remember being like overweight and wanting to lose weight. And I would like, you know, I do stuff like I went on a grape diet once. Like I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to eat grapes. Wow. Grapes are good for you, right? Like this is, and this is the level of knowledge that I had. Like I just ate grapes. Then it lasted maybe like two weeks. I I ate grapes for two weeks and then I was like, I'm bored of this. I'd quite like a burger. (laughs) And so it was always really, really these like kind of short lived attempts to to lose weight. And and losing weight to me just meant eating as little as physically possible for as long as uh, until I cracked and decided I didn't care about losing weight anymore because it was too unpleasant. So I was pretty much getting to the point where I was just living off, like I started working and I was, you know, living off takeaways, going to the pub. Like we would just go to the pub after work and just eat while we were at the pub. And it was, it was fun, but it was kind of getting to the point where I started working as a GP and then I was suddenly behind the desk. I was suddenly like all of my steps had gone away. And I just realized, you know, I think it got to the point where I started ordering work trousers online because I didn't want to go into shops and, and try them on. And I got to the point where I needed to wear a a 40 inch waist for my work trousers. And I was like, this started at 34 and then it went to 36 and then it went to 38 and then it went to 40. And this is a pattern. It's only getting more. And I was like, I kind of have to think about doing something like this because where does it go from here? Like, you know, what, what happens now? And a friend of mine at a sort of similar time, who was a few years older than me, but still very young, but also very fit, very into sport, very active, um, had a heart attack very young. And that freaked me out a little bit because I was like, if he's having a heart attack at his age, then, you know, I need to I need to sort my life out. And I think it was again, I, I often think back to this time and think, like, how did the stars align and I use social media, like social media was a huge tool of, like for accountability. I happened to connect with like someone had messaged their mate and gone follow this guy because he's funny or something. Well, not that I profess to be funny, but I was quite happy with that. <laughs> and this this bloke had followed me and, and he was, I saw his picture. He was like a, just a bloke with a six pack basically to me. And I was like, who's this guy? Like, what is that? And then I remember just seeing like, oh, I bet he's going to be a total twat. Um, and then I saw he, he did like his my fitness pal diary posted automatically to Twitter and I was like oh let's have a look at this I bet he eats lettuce and chicken and I looked at his my fitness pal diary and it was like porridge in the morning like a subway for lunch and like cottage pie and potatoes and vegetables for dinner and I it sort of it piqued my interest I was a bit like that can't be true. You can't you can't eat normal food and, and look like that. What's going on here? And kind of got into a bit of a chat with him. And he was just this incredibly nice bloke who was like, it's actually really straightforward to, to lose fat if you want to. I can give you a hand if you like and give you some tips. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, it sort of suddenly went from there, started following a few more kind of fitness accounts and um, just followed things a little bit, did calorie counting. And it was just... Like it just perpetuated itself. I did that whole thing where I counted calories, which was really sensible for a little while, then thought I was plateauing, so went paleo, and that was kind of my undoing, really. And then I spent a few years in like this wilderness of kind of binge restrict. I ended up getting involved in a program which involved me cutting out wheat, sugar, and dairy um, for six days a week, and then having a cheat day once a week, which I'm sure anyone listening to, to your podcast knows how that works out um so that didn't go so well for me and then I got basically (laughs) bullied into trying flexible dieting and then that was kind of 
the rest was history and joined an amazing gym like Jamie Alderton's gym, which was incredible, developed this incredible community for fitness and exercise and, and friends who I wanted to train with and stuff. And then that closed and then I went back into the wilderness for a bit. And then it's kind of just been this never ending. Like, I don't, I wouldn't say it's become completely natural to me like I, I still have to think it through I still have to do a lot to ensure that I continue to train hard and exercise I need a lot of help basically so I've, I have a coach because I know that if I don't have a coach I trick myself into not training very hard at all yeah um, and so yeah so I'm very lucky to have been surrounded by some pretty incredible people along the way who I credit almost entirely with you know, keeping me afloat and, and um, helping me to carry on. And so I think, you know, to me, environment is the biggest part of this, because if you're surrounded by people who support your journey, um, yeah. you are always going to always going to carry on with it. Whereas if you're surrounded by people who make it harder to carry on with it, then, you know, it's just it's an uphill battle the whole time. It is. And I love how you talk about I, I think they call it the empathy gap, don't they, when you can't you you can't kind of relate to your future self. Therefore, you don't really care about your future self. And typically what tends to happen is something negative will happen in your life, in your 20s or 30s or whatever, which makes you kind of reassess your future. And um, I also like, I love it how you talk about the fact that you, you, you need a little bit of kind of guidance, not because you don't know what you're doing, but because otherwise you can kind of trick yourself into things and I actually I wanted to ask you about kind of motivation so I recently did a post on motivation I know you saw it because you liked it because I liked it I liked, <laughs> liked it in it. real life as well as liking it on a, just on, a just on, on the gram yeah I love it and I had uh, I had Ben Mudge on the podcast a couple of weeks ago who I know you know really well as yeah. well and he was talking about motivation and basically saying it's got nothing to do with it you just have to get up and get it done mm-hmm. um so I just wanted to kind of say to you as someone who is kind of is still going through it and definitely had to make some big life changes. What's your view on motivation and what would you say to other people who are looking to you or to any of our kind of crew, I guess, in the health and fitness world to, to kind of glean motivation from them? I think it's it's really tough because there is this general idea that you need to be really motivated in order to make successful change. And I, I completely agree with what you said. I, th- I think there is a place for motivation and I think you have to have an overall motivation. If my, if my motivation is to be healthy and to train hard, then I can put measures in place um, to make my habits and routines support being healthy and training hard. But that doesn't mean that I am always motivated to eat well and train hard. Um, And I think that that's the interesting part of it. Like, so for example, for me, I have had times when I know I'm not motivated. So I'll step up the frequency of my PT sessions, knowing that if I don't have PT sessions, I won't train. Um, And that's, you know, I, I realize that's a very privileged situation to be talking about and to be in. But at the same time, to me, health is one of the number one priorities to me. And I I know that training hard makes me feel so much better in my whole life that I'm willing to prioritize that to the level that I know it's worth. And if you're not motivated to care about it, it's like you have to care. I think it's important to care about it, like to be motivated to care about it. But the motivation itself, like the daily motivation it's the fact that you do it. I'm not motivated to go to work every morning, but I have to, like, I don't have a choice. It's not like I (laughs) get up and go, I so want to go to work or I really want to brush my teeth. You know, like these are things that we don't love doing necessarily. Of course we do. We love our jobs, but you know what I mean? Like we, you do things because they're part of a routine and part of things that you do. You attend appointments, you drive your car at the speed limit. There's lots of things in life that we do that we're not motivated to do. It's about figuring out the hacks that support you to carry on doing them regardless of your motivation levels. And that's why enjoyment is so important. That's why it's so important to me that I do group training sessions with people that I get on well with, because actually if I'm training with people I don't like or I'm training on my own, I might not turn up. But if I'm excited to see my friends and to put on a playlist that I've made 
and for us to all train together, like that's something I'll actually get up and look forward to doing. It doesn't mean that I won't be like I'd be devastated if someone phoned up and said training's off today. You know, like I'd be secretly happy I get to stay in bed. But at the same time, it's like you have to make it enjoyable. And the same with food. That's why it's so important not to be restrictive in what you're yeah. doing, because if you are, then no amount of motivation is going to fix it because like you said, willpower is finite. It doesn't doesn't go on forever. There's going to come a point where that motivation is gone. And what are you left with? Habits and routines. Yeah, uh, I second all of that. I love everything you've said. Um, okay, so let's move away from kind of your own, I guess, experience with it. And look, you, you've obviously gone through your own stuff with your body and you're a GP. Can you talk to me a little bit about your views on diet culture specifically diet culture what does that term actually mean to you how do you translate that and what do you make of it hmm right so diet culture is like it's basically this belief system that values thinness and equates it with like moral virtue and beauty and health and i think that's what's so fascinating about diet culture is it's it's not just about health it's about beauty as well. So you're kind of mixing together this message that being thin isn't just a beauty ideal, it's a it's a health ideal as well. Yeah. And the problem with that, thinness itself is given priority over other measures of health. So it's the idea that that being thin is what's important at, like at all costs basically. So you've got people who are smoking to suppress their appetite for example, which we know from a health perspective isn't an ideal way of becoming healthier but because they think that being thin is healthy that's you know that's what's associated with it and there's this idea of thin privilege that goes along with it like this tying of morality to thinness which then kind of perpetuates the idea of like healthy eating and physical activity as, as being a punishment also for being fat rather than yeah. something that we should be doing because it's good and it's just like obviously I, th I think we all agree like I say that diet culture isn't a great thing but it's so intrinsic in so many aspects of society that sometimes it's hard for us to even see it so like even when we talk about stuff like well if people want to be thin like we should support them on their journey we should do this that or the other it's very difficult to know when what people want and why they want it and I've kind of struggled with that myself a little bit like there have been times when I've thought I I you know I'm not lean enough and then I'm like not lean enough for what you yeah. know like what what does it matter what are we talking about here um yeah. and it is it's a really fascinating concept because I think we do sell this idea of being lean as 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 like ideal um whereas actually like there's many benefits to not being so lean as well um and actually I think it's I think it is it's a really, really personal thing. Like when it comes to personal aesthetics, it's a bit like, you know, you can talk about people dyeing their hair. One yeah. person might be dyeing their hair because they hate themselves and they hate the color of their hair and they were bullied because of their hair color or whatever. And someone might dye their hair because they fancy a change. Like yeah. it, the problem is with all of these concepts and with, with stuff is that we often end up deciding that people think things for the wrong reasons. And actually, it's not really our place to necessarily do that, but it's perhaps our place, particularly as health professionals, to perhaps be aware of those concepts and to approach them with people and to go, actually, do you want to get a six pack and do a photo shoot? Because it's something that you've always wanted to tick as a box or because it's going to ultimately end up causing you some issues and do we need to be a bit careful about this and where is this coming from rather than, well, you can't possibly want that because that means you're fat phobic and you're just possessed by diet culture. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're right. It's really important, especially if you work in the industry that we work in, to take a step back and to see the foundation of the problem. Being able to embrace it and assess it. So I've had clients who I've have, have checked in with me week after week after week and 
I get to a point with them where I'm like, why are you doing this? Why is this the goal? And I will never tell a client what their goal is, never. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, there are obviously, I, you know, I've been doing this for nine years now. There are red flags to look out for where I'm like, you're not doing this for the right reasons. And it's actually leading you to not really particularly do it at all. Mm-hmm. And you have to be aware that there are some clients who are like, nana, like I'm fucking into this goal. I want to do it. And you need to support that and champion them. And, and those are the clients who really, you know, you do need to be quite, um, I suppose, strict with as a coach. And then there are clients that I turn around to and I'm like, this is the wrong goal. You're doing the wrong thing. We have to, ch- I need, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you have to go away. I don't want you to check in for a week and think about what you actually want out of life. Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you now, it's not this. And I think yeah. you're right. It's really interesting what we what we seem to have lost. And I see this as a coach who actually works with women all day, every day. We seem to have lost the understanding that there's a spectrum of character that not everybody is the same and not everybody has the same goals for the same reasons, which I think you just touched on wonderfully. And I mean, I suppose it takes us really nicely into the full on pendulum swing of the next question, which is anti-diet culture. Mm -hmm. You know, you yourself as a health professional, again, with your own experiences, do you see the anti-diet movement as a good thing or a bad thing? You know, does it counter diet culture or does it actually just create a whole other host of problems? Because again, we've gone to another extreme. What do you make of the anti-diet movement and anti-diet culture? Uh, so I think <clears throat> from the anti-diet movement perspective, perspective, like like with anything that ends with the word movement, um, I think it is then is hugely up for interpretation and up for different ways of thinking within it. And I think like again with like with every way of thinking there are good things that we can take from it and there are not so good things that we can take from it and i think actually i think the anti-diet movement itself i think is kind of it's important for us as fitness and health professionals to check ourselves because i think actually left unopposed there has been a bit of a problem with how diets are kind of promoted and stuff in the fitness industry. And I guess actually, no, that's not necessarily so true about the fitness industry itself. It's more true about the more mainstream kind of health industry. So for example, and I guess actually, I don't really know because I still hear stories from friends who like go to a random commercial gym and sign up with a random PT um, who we don't know from Instagram and who doesn't listen to you know podcasts and things like that who are telling them to take like CLA supplements and stuff like that and I'm thinking I can't believe this is actually still happening in real life um so I think it does go on but I think the bigger issue is that kind of mainstream approach like the there's an aisle in in the supermarket that is like healthy food and the stuff that's actually in that aisle (laughs) the stuff that they sell in health food shops is like, you know, zero noodles and and detox teas and stuff like that. And, you know, I think there's just this such a misunderstanding about what health actually is. And that's, you know, that is diet culture. But there's also this wave of incredible fitness professionals who are putting out amazing programs and educating people and trying to get people to understand what fat loss is why fat loss is helpful, why fat loss might not be so helpful, what the problems might be with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's very easy for you and me to think that we've solved the problem because we are now in this echo chamber of all of these people that know what we're talking about and have, you know, have potentially been through these mistakes themselves. So, you know, I think that that the fact that so much of that nonsense still exists is why there is an importance for the anti-diet movement. And and because if, if there wasn't an anti-diet movement, then perhaps we wouldn't have learned enough to figure out about these problems as well, because they've sort of shifted us maybe a bit closer to a middle ground. And like I say, I'd always want to be in the middle ground. So that's the reason why I find some of the anti-diet movement rhetoric can be a bit problematic, because yeah. a lot of it isn't middle ground and isn't middle ground friendly. But essentially, like, so it's based on this idea that diets are likely to fail. A weight loss goal in itself is problematic um, because weight is likely to be regained even if it's lost. And it causes, there's these mental health effects of dieting that, that are, you know, potentially an issue. But I think the thing is that what they are talking about is diets, like fad diets and all of that kind of stuff. And actually there is, you know, there's there's every reason to be anti those, but I don't know that yeah. there's necessarily any reason to be anti-fat loss. They think that a lot of the evidence does tell us that behavioral interventions rather than fat loss interventions are more effective. So 
for example, if, you know, if on a program you're getting people to be aware of their energy balance, eat better, be more nutritious, be more nutritious. <laughs> Sorry, people shouldn't try and be more nutritious. You know what I mean? You said we I was aren't carnivores. That was, that was the death of these sentences. <laughs> so basically, I think that, that you know, that, that, that the evidence tells us that those sorts of interventions, like doing healthy behaviours, is better than saying lose five kilos or you know lose this much body fat or get to be a size whatever or a this inch waist or whatever you know and so I think there is there is importance in that and there's importance to remember that but I think there is a certain amount of disempowerment away from people as well in the sense that I think when you when you're telling people that they're going to fail that's not a cool thing to do and I think you you've already got a bunch of people and I kind of include my former self in these people thinking, I'm never going to lose weight. I'm never going to be, I'm never going to look like what I want to look like. I'm never going to be as fit as how I want to be. I'm never going to be able to run a 5k. I'm never going to be the kind of person that feels comfortable in a gym. This is not going to happen for me. So when you also tell those people, well, don't go on a diet because it will never work and you'll ruin your mental health. um, Then I, I think about me from before and I think, He's looking for any excuse not to bother, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think this is the problem is the audience that receives the message. Like, it's great if you're talking to um, young, like, fairly thin women who keep wanting to lose three pounds all the time, but don't need to lose three pounds or who want to have a six pack or whatever. Like, then yes, maybe try and steer them away from a weight loss goal that they don't need to keep restricting themselves to achieve or they don't need to achieve necessarily. Um, But if you're wanting people that are trying to make healthy change and stuff, then it should, I think, for the most part, be encouraged. I think that like we were talking about our echo chamber, I think there's a yeah. big echo chamber problem in the anti-diet. Like there's a big echo chamber problem in every aspect of social every media. Community. Because of social media, you can find, you know, you can find a community that believes that that frogs are divine angels sent from up above to heal us Wait, from sin. they're not? Yeah, what? Exactly, right? I know. What? So, and this is the thing, like you can just find a lot of support for any way of thinking. And I think that sometimes then when they progress their views into being slightly more extreme, they still get supported by other people. And I think like just there's this, I have seen a fair amount of cherry picking of data. Like, you know, I I don't, I'm not convinced by the diets, all diets fail kind of stuff. I've seen a lot of evidence that has suggested that that's not as, as we would be told to believe. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I just think that there's, there's a way of communicating about stuff. And I just think that actually, I think what worries me is that, you know, like we're all a bit like kids sometimes, like when stuff doesn't go our way or when we don't like stuff, we throw our toys out of the pram and we don't want to do it. So actually a lot of the time we're looking for excuses not to do things that maybe we should be doing. I think for me, that's the biggest problem in that arena and I think if you speak to the sensible people who who go with anti-diet culture and stuff like that they will all support that they will say stuff like you know they will say that they don't it's not that they're anti-fat loss they're just anti-fat loss as the only Only. primary goal above all else but there's just that gray area in between where people just are a little bit more extreme about it I guess I mean, I, I have to, uh, you know, it's happened in recent years. I have to check myself every time, like, I go to answer a question or make a post. And I noticed that a few years ago, it was always, like, fat loss geared. But it is just one area of what I'm qualified to do. And I even realized a few years ago, like, I'm, every time I put out a post, it's contextual around fat loss. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So, you know, you really have to, and I remember speaking to Phil Lerny about it and really having to get into a habit of being like, it depends on the goal, which is now how I answer all my questions and how I set up all my posts. I think it's really important that we do tackle that. Um, And I love what you say about echo chambers. You're completely right. In our echo chamber, we're part of an evidence-based health and fitness community. So we kind of know, you know, how to do this from a health perspective. Um, And you're right. I think the people who are really buying into and hearing the anti-diet messaging are potentially the people who maybe need to hear our community more. 
-hmm. And the people who are ignoring it, like you say, and, and I've recently, you know, been talking about this on, on the EC Method podcast, the people that need to hear it who are just upset, who are already like a size eight and obsessively trying to become a size six, they're not going to hear it. Um, and you're right. I think that is a, a big problem. And I also, I also agree with you on like, you know, how he talks about just then like kind of a spectrum of character. Some people have physique goals and that's fucking fantastic. And, mm. and they're really driven by it and they really get fuel and life energy from that. And that's wonderful. And it's the same thing with the anti-diet movement. I'm like, there is a spectrum of quote unquote dieting. You know, there is bad ways to diet, like the grape diet. <laughs> and then there's good ways to diet, like flexible dieting. Um, and it's not, you know, like I say, this big pendulum swing of extreme messaging is not helpful. And that kind of, it moves me on to my next question for you, which is a little bit similar to anti-diet movement, but I think it's different, is the self-love movement and there's this kind of the big slogan of the self-love movement and I, I think you talked about this a little bit with James Smith and I wanted you to talk about it again here but a big slogan of the self-love movement is you can be healthy at any size mm -hmm. now I feel and I'm I'm this I want to hear your thoughts on this I feel that's a very dangerous statement to make because any size includes both extremes of the spectrum which in my humble opinion aren't healthy you know on one side we have eating disorders and you know, we've seen, especially post-lockdown, what, what that's done to a lot of people. But on the other side, we have obesity and metabolic syndrome. And, you know, this message is telling everybody that we should accept every body type is healthy and perfectly okay, when quite frankly, it's not. Uh, the, the, the extremes are dangerous. And, and ironically, in trying to tell everybody to come away from physical extremes, it's gone to the extreme yet again. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, you, you're a doctor and you understand this. And can you be healthy at any size? And is healthy at any size an accurate statement for people to be making? So I think that the thing that I would say about health and healthcare is that there are almost no absolute statements. I mean, there's a possibility that somebody at any size could be healthy but then how do you define health i think that's what's really important about it because health yeah. is a spectrum of things there's no one indicator that defines that somebody is healthy or not there's no score there's no kind of simple outcome we have to be sort of thinking about physical health we have to be thinking about mental health we have to be thinking about certain types of markers certain other types of markers you know somebody can be very healthy on paper but they can have a cancer that's growing that we don't know about so you know there is no there is no really kind of accepted definition of what healthy means number one mm -hmm. number two i don't know any sensible practitioners who this is a big statement to make who who has ever said that people can be healthy at any size and I think that the issue the issue has come is that there's a huge misunderstanding about this. And I think what this has come from is the health at every size movement, which is another kind of social movement, which is which is often misunderstood by a lot of people who are perhaps perpetuating the, this this subject that you're talking about is perpetuating this idea that you could be healthy at every size. But it's not what health at every size means. What health at every size means is actually that your aim in, ter in terms of your goal should be health not size so you, the, the aim is for health at every size so as in it doesn't matter if you're underweight or overweight you should be aiming for healthy practices not aiming for specifically changes in your weight right so that and the the justification for that is that weight isn't a behavior you you're not yeah. you're not trying to change your weight you're trying to change your behavior so rather than changing your weight which you can do in unhealthy ways or healthy ways you want to change your behavior and it's it's just massively misconstrued because actually it's a it's it's a fairly decent concept really and it also includes the ideas of weight stigma so the idea is that people should have access to health at every size so somebody who's overweight should be able to go and see their gp and not just be told to lose weight. They yeah. shouldn't be discriminated against. They shouldn't have, like, weight stigma shouldn't be affecting their healthcare. That's what health at every size means. Healthy at every size, I think, is just a, a, a kind of a misunderstanding of, of, of health at every size. I think that the, the best way that I can describe it, one of the best sentences I've heard said about it, and this was... I will credit it to Sophie Medlin, who's a dietitian, yeah, who I said this on, on our podcast. It's amazing. She said, obesity is not a benign condition. Mm. 
So this doesn't mean that you can't be healthy and be obese, um, but it also doesn't mean that you can rely on being healthy regardless of the body fat levels that you, that you carry. Um, it is possible for somebody who is at a quote unquote normal weight to be less healthy than somebody who is in a larger body. But that doesn't mean it's to be relied upon. So for example, you can't say to somebody, you don't need to worry about your health because you're overweight. It's not fair on that person. You know, there are health conditions that are associated with being overweight. The problem is it's very hard to study because we're talking about cause, correlation or effect. So like, for example, there are lots of chronic illnesses that are associated with obesity, but a lot of those chronic illnesses are also associated with being from a poorer socioeconomic background. So are they related to the obesity? Are they related to the poorer socioeconomic background? Or are they related to other health behaviours that are associated with somebody who might not be as invested in their health, so therefore might smoke more, drink more, etc. And there's also this interesting, there's lots of studies that talk about people who are obese but who are healthy but then there's all these other studies that talk about whether it's possible to stay healthy longer term if you maintain that level of obesity and again I think that the ultimate conclusion is about balance so I think that the health implications are massively overestimated by some people so like there are some people like I say who would rather smoke than be overweight and they will tell themselves that's because they think being overweight is unhealthy but actually it might just be because they're thinking about diet culture and they've just been taught that actually being overweight is worse than being a normal weight like morally etc but there's also a lot of people who I think underestimate the health implications and I think we've had a bit of a harsh lesson with this with with COVID as well in terms of the correlation between serious illness and COVID and raised BMI so again it needs a lot more further investigation but at the same time the results, you know, or the or, or the information that we have so far is quite concerning. So it then becomes quite concerning that people are, you know, I, I'm all for switching from a health goal to, sorry, switching from a weight goal to a health goal. Great. Yeah. I'm not so much for switching from a health goal or a weight goal to nothing, you know, and to just actually don't need to worry about it. Again, it might be my echo chamber, but I don't know an awful lot of people, even people who are firmly entrenched in in the anti-diet movement, that actually think that losing weight is unhealthy. And again, it's a re- it, like to play devil's advocate, it's really useful for us to have people put out information like that so that we can go, oh, hang on a minute, we really need to think about this because there's some very intelligent people who are telling us that what we think is not right. Like again... I feel in a massively fortunate position to have messed up so many things in my lifestyle journey that I have basically removed, I don't know, all elements of ego, but quite a lot of my ego in terms of in terms of being wrong. Like I've been forced to face that I've made some some really silly mistakes. And that's that to me has been hugely empowering because it means I can be quite open minded. And then when somebody says stuff about things that I believe in, I'm not so tied emotionally to those beliefs because I've been wrong before and I've had to relinquish them. So I'm quite happy to talk about it and to kind of, you know, to have it discussed. I haven't been convinced yet, but it has moved me in a bit of a direction. And what I always struggle to to figure out is, am I being moved in that direction because people are so passionate about what they're saying, which worries yeah. me? Or yeah. am I being moved in that direction because the evidence and people's lived experiences support that? And I think what is really interesting is that some people just don't get on with fat loss and actually it does the more I don't know whether you know whether there's still a bit of an element of some disordered eating but then again at the same time I you know I like food too much so I'm sort of helped by that um and so again I don't know if it's my own biases or what but I kind of feel like if people just had the right people to help them who who helped move their focuses away from stuff like that um yeah. I think that they might do better because again like we say environment is so important we know environment influences us massively. So if you're surrounded by people who are doing things for positive reasons um, and who are helping you shift your focus away from perhaps, you know, just losing weight to getting stronger, getting healthier, getting better, being able to do more stuff, that's got to rub off, hasn't it? I do agree with you. And I think one thing that I'm taking from everything that you're saying is 
it's not necessarily a bad thing to have extreme arguments. And it reminds me of a conversation I once had with my dad. I remember him saying, no, no, it's really important that we have a right and a left because we need to regulate our politics, our politicians and our society. And we're never going to be able to do that if we don't have, and I keep saying the same word, a spectrum. And that does actually include having extremes flanked on both sides. And maybe you're right. I mean, you are, you're definitely making me think about it potentially not being a bad thing because we need to talk about this and we need to find our way through the dark. And in order to find our way through the dark, we need to have some pretty bright lights to make us kind of figure it out. And I, I really, I really do like what you're saying. I want to move on to mental health because I know that this is something that you kind of are in charge of in your practice. But talk to me about any kind of common denominators that you found when it comes to people struggling with their mental health in the, the current climate that we're in. You know, I can only imagine that three lockdowns <laughs> have been hugely helpful. But what are kind of the common things that you're finding you're dealing with with people coming to you saying, I think I need some help in this area? Yeah, I think it's a, a really fascinating region. And I think that there's there's this huge spectrum of kind of mental health, mental illness, and lots of different issues that people face. And I think that it's hugely in interconnected with lifestyle, because I think that what we are seeing at the moment is that is, is the, the impact that our lifestyles have on our mental health both positive and negative. And that's not to say like, so what I want to make really clear by that is that, you know, some people will translate that into, oh, if you're depressed, it's because of your lifestyle. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is we can't underestimate the impact of things on our mental health. So for example, so sleep affects our mental health, um, stress affects our mental health, exercise affects it, nutrition affects it to a degree as well. Again, that's not to say that you can cure depression by eating chickpeas, <laughs> but it, it's it's just something that's worth being aware of that actually that the, there are effects that nutrition have on our mental health. And actually things that are really important are like mindfulness, reflection, working through problems and stuff, right? So for example, I think that there are lots of ways that we automatically do do this in society. Like we don't necessarily have therapists. We don't necessarily have counsellors or we don't necessarily go home and journal or do this, that or the other. But what we do do is we go to the pub with our friends after work. Or we meet up with someone for a coffee and we have a whinge about things or we catch up with people at work and like moan about how bad our day is. And all of these things are really, really important to kind of the process of us processing the fact that this is happening to me. It's also happening to other people. This is normal. This is okay. I've got this off my chest. I've explained it to someone. I've received some comfort from somebody. We've enjoyed some social connection. This is fantastic. Suddenly it gets taken away. And what does everybody do instead? They watch Netflix and they bake like banana bread and sourdough, which I'm a massive fan of all of those things, right? These are brilliant things, but they don't replace that stuff. And I think that it's almost like we've gone from needing to take, well, actually, no, I think we all need to take a proactive role in our own mental health and our mental well-being. But we've gone from a situation where we were actually doing that without even realising it to suddenly having a lot of those practices just removed from our lives mm. and not replacing them with other healthy practices that function as the same thing. So like, for example, I, I think I'm sure all of us have been in a situation where someone suggested like a Zoom quiz or whatever. And we've been like, <laughs> no, thanks, because it's a Zoom quiz and it's just is not it's it's not comparable to the real thing. So I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Whereas then there have been times when we've actually done those things. And although, yes, it's not been ideal and it's not been the same, we might have felt a bit of a lift from doing yeah. that. Because even though it's not as good as it would have been if we'd met up at the pub, it's better than nothing. And I think that's the problem is that we're, we're often choosing nothing over the things that are sort of, you know, slightly subpar. And I think that that's what I've sort of th thought, like working from home, you finish work and then you're like, I finished work. Yeah. What do I do now? Oh, I'm already home. I don't even get to decompress on the drive home. No. Oh, maybe I should go out for a walk. It's raining. Don't really want to. And then, you know, it, it's like this. You can't leave. Yeah. You can't leave. I, I think that's why people started drinking so much in lockdown because like, I mean, I know I did. I remember talking to, who was it? Sean Stafford about it. He was like, we all went through our lockdown alcoholic phase. And I, 
I just think you, I work from home anyway, but it just also not get, being able to get out just to go to the gym or, yeah. you know, to go do something, to go see friends and family. It was like, you finish work and then, okay, well, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And then I just think people fell into this cycle of just like, yeah. well, I'll just have a drink. <laughs> and yeah. before you know it, it's like six months later, you've drank almost every night and you're like, whoa, oh my God, I need to figure this yeah. out. substances like alcohol is is huge for like alcohol is a depressive drug basically yeah and it's something that always you know makes us feel like we're being more relaxed it might make us feel like we're uplifted etc but you know all of the evidence tells us otherwise it's is actually doing the opposite especially in a longer term basis and it's hard to convince people that that it's a bad thing because they get so many perceived benefits from it like they feel it's yeah. doing them good and that's why it's um, that's why it can be so problematic. But I think look, I think that what we have seen is a is a real increase in people feeling comfortable talking about mental health. Yeah. What I worry about is that it's like that we talk so much about it that what are we actually doing in terms of action? Like yeah. we've got a lot of influencers talking about the importance of mental health. It's yeah, it's great, but are you actually doing the things that you're talking about, or are you spending your evening scrolling Instagram? You know, yeah. are you are you just writing a post about having a bath because that gets engagement? Yeah. Um, and actually, in some ways, it's super important anyway because actually, the more awareness we raise of people feeling comfortable to talk about it, like that is an important thing. And I I really hate it when people belittle awareness because actually, sometimes yeah. for some people, that's the best they can do is spread awareness. And actually, it's better than them doing nothing at all. So yeah, you know, I I I do get a bit fed up of of people kind of you know doing that down. But I think we also have to accept that there's quite a lot more work to be done than just spreading awareness and than just talking about it. We have to have improved services. We have to have access for people, you know, to to actually, you know, express this and actually get things like therapy and stuff like that too. I feel quite fortunate because I feel like where I am, mental health services are relatively decent apart from I think we struggle everywhere for for kind of child and adolescent mental health but where I am I kind of feel like there's good provisions for things like counseling and stuff like that but it's not the same everywhere and that that's frustrating too but again there's lots of people that are doing amazing work you know trying to improve services and trying to to improve things and trying to get people to talk about it more and talking about it more and talking about seeking help more because yeah. it is always the first step. And I think it's such a complex issue when it comes to mental health that sometimes even there is value in even just talking about it. Um, oh, definitely. Even, even though that isn't all there is. No, I, I think you're completely right. It's tricky because, I mean, I oh God, I literally had this exact conversation with Emma and, and our clients on a live we did. And I actually posted about it. And one of our clients basically wrote in and said, I'm finding it really hard to get out of bed in the morning. I managed to get out and see a friend and it really lifted me up. But now I've kind of retreated again. I'm about to move into a new flat and I'm scared that I'm going to be spending all day, every day on my own feeling sad. And I, I don't want to go out. And, and she, she wrote this is beautifully written and she wrote this piece. And I, I said to her, listen, it sounds to me like you're going through a bit of a bout of depression. And now listen, we all go through bouts of depression. It doesn't necessarily mean like you are depressed, you know, forevermore and you need to go on medication and you need psychiatric help. No, I'm like, it happens sometimes. And I gave her just some anecdotal advice of things. So I go through it a lot of things that I do that really help me. And then I said, but look, if you get to a point, and then I, I talked about, you know, this happened to me a couple of years, no, more than a couple of years ago. I think I was about 25. If you get to a point where it's not shifting, actually, and it's really, really damaging your life, and this is what happened to me, and thank God for my dad, because he's the one who really stepped in, you need to get help. So there's this funny balance of being like, let's talk about it, let's try and help each other and support each other. But you're right, there will come a point for some people, certainly not everyone, and I would venture to say not most, but there will come a point for some people where you actually have to get help. And like I say, for me, like reaching out to my dad was the key. Um, but I, I I think it's everything you've said is really important. Talking about it is really helpful, but there might come a point where you need to do more than that. Um, and I also, you touched on social media there. And, you know, obviously in lockdown, I found in lockdown one, 
actually really affected my mental health social media. I hated the way that some people were behaving on social media in lockdown one, as you know, hated it. And I won't, you know what, I'll just say it out loud now. Even my husband, James, I struggle with him on social media. <laughs> it really got me, got me into a really bad mental um, space. And, and we have talked about social media several times. Obviously the effects it's had on me will be different for the effects it's had on you for multiple reasons. What do you think about social media's effect on mental health? Again, I, th- I think it's a pretty individual thing. I yeah. think that unfortunately what social media does is it sort of teaches us to value popularity in a way that that we didn't necessarily before. So like I think, for example, not everybody wants to be a celebrity, <laughs> but everybody I think is a bit intrigued by the idea of celebrity. Mm. So when people... And I include myself in this. When people start to develop like a little bit of a, a following or whatever, like I've had situations where I've I've gone to like nutritiony sort of fitness events and people have come up to me and, and yeah. spoken to me as though like they know who I am or want a picture with me. And it makes me so yeah. cringy even to, yeah. to, to say it out loud. Like, and, and, and when it's happening, I'm like, oh God, like the... Uh, there's something that makes me recoil because it feels really cringy because I don't want them to think that I, that that's what I think about myself. So I feel really embarrassed. And then I feel like, Oh God, I'm being really rude because like, I remember someone I think asked me for a selfie. I was like, you don't want a selfie with me. That's ridiculous. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I've just called them ridiculous because, (laughs) and actually that's horrible. And so I was like, no, no, I, I just don't want, I like, I, you can just be my friend like we're just people we're <laughs> people in the same situation and yeah and I think that then and then you're sort of at the same time slightly sort of titillated guard. by this idea oh God, someone came up to me and asked me for a selfie and then you're like don't be that guy and, and I think it's really it's fascinating because then even the people that like that don't set out for it that don't want for it still are sort of can be sucked in a little bit by it and oh, yeah. You know, like I, I think we've seen it a little bit, you know, in the medical profession. And I have to say, over COVID, suddenly, I mean, my following on Instagram has doubled during COVID. Like, there's yeah. more than doubled because suddenly people are interested in what medical professionals have to say. But thank what we've God. seen is this massive wave. Well, sometimes, thank God. Well, but also, yeah, well, there are a few, yeah. there are a few rogue, rogue medics out there. This I'm is, like, and, you need to pipe down. <laughs> and we've seen, like, we've been in situations where, like, you you be watching TV and someone, like, they've got this kind of, you know, special interview with some, like, you know, junior doctor who's talking about something, and you're like, hang on a minute, you're talking about a specialty that you that that you don't work in like it yeah. would be like if somebody had had said can you you know comment on the situation in the hospitals to me and as a gp i'm like well i know what my friends have told me but why don't you speak to them they're the ones that are working in the hospitals but you've sort of there have been sort of aspects of people almost leveraging this kind of idea of of of, of being an, an nhs worker etc meaning that they're an expert on the pandemic and I guess actually sort of thinking back I'm sort of reflecting in real time at the moment thinking I wonder if that's what you know if I've done that and I've I feel like I've been quite careful not to and quite careful to point to you know posts by specialists and stuff like that and not necessarily take the credit for things but I think what we what we often see is people wanting you know wanting a bit of the limelight which again is, is understandable because a lot of people want that but it also can be a little bit of a of a dangerous thing. Yeah, so to get back to your question, sometimes social media can make us all feel a little bit like celebrities. And then the problem with that is yeah. that sometimes people start to then act a little bit like celebrities. Um, Don't they? And, Don't they yeah. just? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and even just... celebrities shouldn't be acting like celebrities. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I know. No, it's so true. And... You know, it, the rogue medic thing, it's so funny. I've often, I thought that a lot during COVID. It's like, it's like going to a dermatologist to talk about oncology. It's like, come on. And then we come full circle back to mainstream media, just not knowing what the fuck they're talking about when it comes mm. to, to diet or, you know, I mean, your profession. And that's a very funny interpretation. But I, there is I, this, like, there is this temptation to just like like I was asked on a Q&A the other day about the um the trans athlete competing in the Olympics oh yeah and yeah, I yeah. started answering it and then I suddenly thought hang on a minute what are you doing why like who doing? cares why are you asking me I'm I have no interest in competitive sport I have no background in competitive sport I don't really know the ins and outs of the argument I don't even know what the story is because I haven't really even read about it because 
I don't really care that much about the Olympics, if I'm 100% honest. Um, <laughs> Shock. <laughs> unless, yeah, unless when it's in the UK, when that was like amazing. But, oh, it was um, amazing. So it was like amazing. The summer of fun. It's been all downhill from there, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but essentially, like, I was just like, it, it's, it's so tempting to just answer someone's question or to just feel that suddenly your opinion is worth so much more than it, than it is because you've got a few thousand followers on Instagram. And actually, the reality yeah. is no one really cares and so you know there are times when you know by all means if people have a strong opinion and they want to express it who am I to say that they shouldn't express it but when you're painting it as an expert opinion like no you know that's that's why I won't go near it I get asked that every time I do Q&A on my stories I won't fucking touch it because of course I have an opinion on it but I I'm not wading into this like it's not my place at all you know it's so funny like (laughs) We had a really enlightening chat recently about our first ever Twitter exchange, which neither of us remembered. I think you should tell this story. And I think we should hope to educate people on social well, media and friendship. <laughs> yeah. So basically, like, I think I, I I had probably had a little bit of a troll phase on Twitter. And I, what I mean by that is not I was never a troll. But I definitely was a caller outer of what I perceived to be like nonsense. And I would be quite strong in my opinions. And I would, I would, you know, if people said bad things about doctors or whatever, I would, I would, you know, be aggy about it. Um, <laughs> and so I even just dropped my T's there where I would be aggy about it because I'd probably be in aggy mode. <laughs> um, and I remember when, like when Emma started working with you and then and we started interacting and you came off in a Sunfilter Live, I just had this feeling in the back of my mind. I was like, <laughs> something has happened in the past and I feel like it was on Twitter and I don't know what it was and I'm scared to search for it in case it turns out that I was not very nice to you or something <laughs> because of like something in the past of fitness. It was on the that, Daily you know, Mail. It was yeah. next to the Daily Mail online. And it was actually, actually what had happened. And eventually I cracked and I was like, I, ju- I just need to know. So I did a search on Twitter for like for my name and your name and it, and it came up and I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, please. Okay. <laughs> And actually what had happened was there had been this Daily Mail article by a GP who had basically called you out for for, for something that you'd written about being lean or something and about stuff. Yeah. And then they were saying that you were impossibly lean or unhealthily lean or something like that. And I and I I responded to her tweet of her article saying actually, I feel a little bit sorry for Chloe Maidley about this backlash that she's getting. And I've been thinking about this a lot today. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I said something nice. It was okay. And I didn't really flesh it out or get into a discussion because I think she didn't reply. But you had actually replied saying something like, I'd feel sorry for me too if any of it was true. But actually, as usual, it's total nonsense. I think you might have used a stronger <laughs> word than nonsense. Um, a load of fucking bullshit, Mark. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and, like and, and what this really highlighted to me was that what I would have remembered is that at the time when I might have made a comment about you on social media... You would not have been a human being to me. You would have been somebody who an article was written about in the Daily Mail whose name I knew, you know, but not necessarily a human being who has thoughts and feelings and is on a journey and who is perhaps doing their best. And it reminded me of how often we just do that. And what was interesting to me is that actually there was no thought going through my mind when I tweeted that tweet that in a few years time, we're going to be mates and you're going to be a business partner with one of my really good mates and we're going to yeah. be doing a live fitness event together and I'm going to be on your podcast and we're going to have chats on social media. Like, And that's what's interesting about life is it maybe actually what we should be doing when we think about saying stuff about people is just imagine that maybe actually that they are your mate's brother or sister yeah. or daughter or mum or whatever. And actually that's that has happened to me when I made a slightly disparaging comment about a children's entertainer um, and realised and that somebody replied to it on Twitter saying, you do realise that's like so-and-so who was my friend's brother. And I was like, shit. So bad. (laughs) Exactly. And this is the thing, like, why are you saying stuff? Like, if you wouldn't say it about your friend's brother, why are you saying it at all? To someone you don't know. I love that. And, but this is, uh, what I love about you, Mike, is like, there's so much oh, you're going you're gonna to hate this, but there's so much wisdom behind what you're saying because you've, like me as well in my industry, 100% made some mistakes. 
learned maybe i don't know everything like and and checked yourself and that is that is wisdom and and it's it's a really important thing that i think is lacking with a lot of kind of dogma and self-importance especially on social media and i love that you talk about like you know we did we had a really long chat about it that day i remember and it was also the morning after the britney documentary had come out we were saying like these are fucking people like it's and it's it's the empathy gap again how we were saying Mm. how i was saying that you see you you can't empathize with your future self because they're a stranger to you and it's the same with celebrity you know we obsess over celebrities and then we say horrible things about them and we praise them we don't know them you know because and the empathy gap is then i think it's really important to think on that um and i think the way that ultimately you have to go to go to sleep at night knowing that you're a good person and you you have to keep your side of the street clean. So keep it fucking clean. But before we go, I'm going to do with you what I do with everyone and just give you the floor to say whatever you want, whether it's just promote something you want or leave people with something you want them to think about or a piece of advice or anything, just anything you want to kind of close out your episode with. So sadly, I have nothing to promote. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's out the window. But essentially, I just, I kind of think I want, you know, I want people to take away from that conversation that we do actually have something to learn from everybody. So even these people who are saying stuff that we totally disagree with, I think it's quite important that we listen to them. And I I don't want to push that to the level like if people are causing you trauma and distress, it's time to unfollow them. I'm good about that. But I think there's something dangerous about an echo chamber. And I think actually it's important to, to not be so married to our beliefs that we get so upset when people challenge or question them. Because actually, if we are genuinely confident in our beliefs, then you know, then it doesn't matter if they're challenged because we're going to come up with the answers that that respond to them. And it's advice that I would give to myself as well because I still get really irritated. You know, if I post, do an Instagram post about vaccines or whatever, I get the response that I get, you know, which is usually overwhelmingly positive and then about four people saying really quite unpleasant things. We all get triggered by it, but actually it's realising that that's kind of normal behaviour, but also fighting against normal behaviour. I think we often go, oh, it's normal. Like, it's normal to feel that way. Yeah, but we can also improve. And I think that actually yeah. listening to people is a, is a really good start with that. Um, so yeah, and I would say just make life easier. Don't worry so much about the differences between all of these little things that we get all caught up about. I love it. I absolutely loved it. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I know it was Thanks really last me. minute as well. No, it was super last minute and you've had a mad day. You have a real job. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> and I just want to say to everybody uh, to tune in next week. We will have another amazing guest and uh, you can follow Mike on social media. You're at Dr. Mike the second. What's your handle? Yeah, Dr. Mike the second. Yeah, everybody follow him because his content is also really, really funny. (laughs) Really funny. And you are a real wordsmith. So, all right, guys, I will see you uh, next week for another episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, and to follow wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, please don't forget to catch up on series one, two, and three to learn even more about all the topics my guests and I cover, from nutrition to fitness, physique results, and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.